Well, thank you very much, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Harlands Business Builder podcast. I'm absolutely delighted that we've got the inspiring Pete Southern with us today. Um, we've uh, I've known Pete for for a couple of years now, and Pete is the founder and uh, CEO of a exciting business called Clockwork Espresso, based in here in the northeast of England. For those that aren't aware, and it's the first time, our aim is to give you some really good nuggets of information about uh, how other people have started on and are on their uh, business building journey. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm really certain that for those aspiring entrepreneurs and those who are on a similar place to where Peter's will get lots from this. Um, so Pete, in, in, in 30 seconds, and you know, which is always hard, uh, tell us who you are, and in particular, you know, why do you get out of bed in the morning? Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm Pete from Glockwork Espresso. Uh, we make uh, the world's most precise coffee tamper, uh, which is a product to use with espresso machines. And our product uh, increases the quality and consistency of espresso made by those machines. Um, and it also protects the, the user from the risk of injury. Okay. Um, I guess I get out of bed because I'm quite determined and I have kind of found myself doing this whole, uh, well, I guess what started as a, as a little project and now is a, a, a business. And every day I, I sort of have more challenges to deal with and never quite managed to get everything finished by the time yeah. I go to bed, so there's always more to do the next day. <laughs> and tell us, if, if you were going to describe, describe yourself in three words, and I ask this of most of the people, what, what would those three words be? Oh, that's difficult. Um, I would say resourceful, um, determined, and creative. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let me, let me pick on those for, 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 the, for the start of this podcast. So. You've just mentioned about the coffee tamper, and let's be blunt, uh, when I first met you, I had no idea at all what it was, um, and we'll go into that a little bit. How the hell did you come up with this idea, and why? Um, so, it started back in 2009, uh, so I went to Australia before I went to university, and um, I got a job in a cafe, and um, kind of became fascinated with how obsessive people were over there about coffee um, and customers were sort of really dis, sort of, uh, discerning and they, you know, they quite happily send a coffee back in, in a fairly average cafe um, if it wasn't right. Whereas over here, you know, as Brits, we're very polite and we, we just go and complain to our mates about it after rather than actually <laughs> yeah. complaining yeah. Uh, if we're in a cafe. Um, so yeah, I became kind of fascinated and, and eventually sort of trained up as a barista there um, and really sort of started getting into coffee. And then when I came back to the UK, um, I found this mobile coffee bar at uh, an auction and it was pretty grotty and old and um, I got it for an absolute bargain. Um, and then sort of spent the summer cleaning it up and, and getting it ready. And then I used to go and do markets and events and festivals and stuff whilst I was at university. Um, and then even for, for a few years afterwards when I was sort of doing a proper job as well. Um, and in that proper job, I, I worked for a company that made uh, DNA testing machines. And they used to um, design and produce everything here in the UK. Um, so I got really good kind of hands-on training of how to make 
really, really high-end sort of engineered um, product. And uh, I've also persuaded them to get a nice coffee machine for the office <laughs> because I used to go and borrow their tools to sort of fix things on the trailer. So they got this fancy coffee machine and I, I kind of taught everyone how to use it. And they used to complain that my coffee was always better than theirs. Um, and they found it frustrating and I found it frustrating because normal job to do as well and I didn't make myself a coffee and find there's a queue of like 15 people <laughs> um, and I, I spent a long time watching what they were doing and trying to sort of pick apart what they were getting wrong and there are a few things but the the biggest one that they all shared was tamping which is the process of compressing the coffee grounds um, before uh, you extract it with the espresso machine uh, and basically if you don't get it perfectly level um, the pressurised water will find the path of least resistance if there is one and it'll kind of fly through, ignore the rest of the coffee um, and it, it just ends up tasting crap to be honest and uh, I thought I'd have a go at making a tamper that, that kind of made it uh, less prone to error um, and I would love to tell you at this point that there was this sort of light bulb moment and then next thing you know we had this amazing product yeah. in reality it was I think probably about a year of playing around with different ideas and testing it on my colleagues and and this was just kind of for fun mm -hmm. this was never a, a business idea or any kind of a scheme to, to make money I was trying to solve my own problem and um, eventually I came up with this idea um, and so I made one uh, using the, the amazing sort of tools that, that I had available to me there like a, a sort of very expensive 3D printer, like six-figure 3D printer. Yeah, yeah. Made the first one with that, um, and unfortunately it wasn't strong enough, so it ended up a bit broken, so then I made, made one out of metal and tested it out, and I was thinking, this is really cool. Like, I'd definitely buy one of these. Oh, that probably means someone else would buy one. Oh, I wonder if someone's done this before. And it was only really at that point that it became anything like a business. Mm -hmm. um, well, it wasn't a business then, but it, it was the first time I kind of thought of it in that way. And I looked into it, I spent ages and ages researching and couldn't find anything like it. Um, so I spoke to the, the, the lawyers um, who my employer worked with. Um, funnily enough, they uh, are actually suing uh, one of the world's biggest um, pharmaceutical companies for nicking some of their te technology. So I got to go back and forth to court in, in Germany for those cases and learn all about how patents work and how to file them and how to protect them and, and of course it's very expensive and slow mm -hmm. and um, I, in the end I, I, I took a punt and they kind of gave me mates rates to file a patent uh, and they helped me do that and I uh, then got some professional prototypes made because the ones I made they worked well but they looked pretty ugly and then I just started sharing people and sort of go around cafes and, and chat to people about it and if I'm honest I had a lot of people tell me it was a terrible idea to begin with. <laughs> Um, but then eventually I got the uh, UK barista champion, so there's this coffee making competition which is exactly as nerdy as it sounds. Um, I got him to use it in the world championships, I flew out to Seattle to watch him compete and this, uh, this guy's there sort of on stage competing and he doesn't say anything about it but he goes to pick it up at the point in his routine where he, where he uses it and there's this, this noise from the audience as everyone's like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and, um, and I'm watching the live stream on my phone as well, it's that serious, they've got a live stream and yeah. comments and stuff and people are like, oh my God, he's got his own custom temper, what is that? Oh, I can't find anything anywhere. 
So I just posted a link to my website that was like a single page website with probably a terrible photo on it and just something to catch, capture some email addresses. And, um, and my website crashed. And I think that was the moment where I thought, oh shit, this is like not a hobby. Yeah. Um, and then it took me several months after that to eventually pluck up the courage to quit my job. And then it was, I think it was almost exactly a year to the day before I actually started selling it publicly. And there were all these people, I got so many emails, I couldn't possibly respond to them all saying stuff like, like, well, when's this available for sale? I want, like, I want to buy it. Can I like get my pre-order list now? Mm -hmm. um, and I think in, in 12 months from a cold start, we had 14,000 people visit the website and 2,000 of them uh, registered their interest to buy it. So if I could pick on a couple of things then, so you mentioned about <coughs> the three things that you would describe yourself with. So the resourcefulness, what it sounds like, it was, I'll use whatever contact I can have to help me solve this problem that I've identified. Um, how did that feel kind of going to people that you knew, you know, and, and asking for favours and stuff? But, you know, it takes a, a determined individual to do that. Or was that just second nature to you? Um, I guess I've always been a bit cheeky, to be honest, even <laughs> as a little kid. I was never afraid to sort of ask for help or um, ask for favours for pe from people and, and just kind of, um, not sort of in a forceful way trying to get what I want, but just, I was never shy. Mm -hmm. um, so it was never something I had to worry about. So, oh, what's so going to say? Like, I just ask it yeah. and worst they can say is no. Yeah. Um, but in fairness to you as well, though, is that no one can say you haven't backed your own idea, you know, and I hope you don't mind me saying it, but with your own money, mm. taking the punt of actually you were earning, you could have been earning a decent salary somewhere else, and you taking that punt to say, I'm not going to earn that, I'm going to put some more money and use my savings, if you don't mind me saying, mm. um, which, I, which, which lessons that we see, that is exactly what the best entrepreneurs do. They're not, you know, obviously there's a point at which you go and learn to do that, but you backed this from day one financially as well as in time, didn't you really? Yeah, so it wasn't um, it wasn't sort of all in one go, like yeah. this is every last penny I've got yeah. all on day one. Yeah. It was sort of staged, so the first patent application, I don't remember how much it was, but it was thousands of pounds. Um, and you know, that's a big deal for something where, you, uh, of course, before you file a patent, you can't tell anyone about it other than mm -hmm. friends and family. Who of course say everything's amazing, you know. <laughs> yeah. Never ask your mum what she thinks of something, she'll tell you it's brilliant. Um, it could literally be a chocolate teapot and, uh, and she, she'd be supportive. Um, so yeah, it kind of started in sort of dribs and drabs. So yeah, I did a hell of a lot of work in whilst I was still at my old job and I, I was really lucky to work for a company who, um, I guess, even though it wasn't in their interest to sort of help me do what I was going to do where I'd ultimately leave the company, had they not sort of given me that sort of help and support, I probably would have left a lot earlier. Mm -hmm. So they kind of had the foresight to go, okay, well, he's going to do this anyway. Let's, um, you know, maybe give him a gentle reminder if he's getting a bit distracted during work time. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah. we'll let him get the crack on. Yeah, okay. Um, and so it, it kind of went from spending a lot of my salary on it in the early days to then using the fact that I had a pretty good credit rating and a good salary to then be able to go and get 
obviously quite a terrifying amount of personal credit because mm -hmm. um, all along the point where I still had a job, the banks were quite happy to, to just sort of throw more and more credit cards at me with nice long 0% interest uh, periods. So I made sure to sort of get as many of those as I could whilst thinking I'm probably going to quit my job at some point soon. Um, but I didn't really have a date and then one day I just, I basically had a terrible day at work and it was just enough to kind of push me over the edge and I went, sorry, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, and luckily I had all this credit available and some savings as well and that kind of helped for the first few months and then, you know, found other ways of, of, of getting money but it's all been kind of on my head, you know. I think it's interesting to kind of follow that journey though that says, <clears throat> As, as you rightly put, you could have set up the business. Actually, you wouldn't have then have been able to be as resourceful to tap into friends, families, and contacts to kind of to market test it anyway. Um, let's be frank. Um, from a, from market testing to then going to proving the market, you hit incredibly well with the barista championship, which actually. And, and I'm sure you planned it incredibly well on the basis that that was going to be the main point of going to market, but you took a punt. Is that, is that the right thing to say? A little bit that said, actually, I'm going to do this, not necessarily knowing the impact that it was potentially going to have. Yeah, I guess I, I always had a pretty good idea that it would help. Yeah. But I didn't, at the time, realise that that would really be... If I had to put a single moment, you know, that sort of spark was really the start of everything going from a hobby to yeah. uh, like, ah, oh, this could be a business. So talk us through that moment there when the website crashes and you get how many orders? Uh, so we weren't taking orders at that point, it was a year later. Okay, but sorry, yeah. The, the year, year later when we started publicly selling it, yeah. after we'd done a small run uh, to sort of test some of the manufacturing processes yeah. and so on. Um, when we first started selling it publicly, I think we sold it was in the sort of low tens of thousands to about 23 countries in three weeks from the, like, I think it was like the 7th of April to the end of the month. Um, so that must be dead easy, of course, to deal with that, you know, as, as, a, as a person who, just yourself in the business at the time, or did, yeah. did you, yeah, so there's beat something with a computer, um, hoping that you're going to get lots of orders, but get, they're getting, you know, kind of 20,000 of, of them. What, how do you then cope with that then? You go from a technology business, proof of market, to operational within 24 hours to a certain degree. Yeah, so I, I really remember, I don't think I'll ever forget the moment where I'd sort of finished the website, everything was ready, and of course it was late because this sort of stuff always is, and I had the, the email ready to go out and I'd sort of checked everything and I thought, right, this is it, this is the moment, and I hit send, and, and I just kind of sat there and thought, well, how long is this going to take? Like, is it is it going to be a few days before I have an order or a few hours? And I think it was like seven minutes later, the first order came in. It's like, yes, well, we've got at least one. It was worth it. Someone Mum's going to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, it wasn't my mum. <laughs> it was uh, actually someone in the, in the States. So um, uh, I think it was because of the time of day, it was sort of the evening. So they were probably sort of waking up mm -hmm. or partway through the day. And then another one came in straight after that, and another one, and another one. And I remember sitting in uh, a sushi restaurant somewhere, I think somewhere near Shoreditch, um, with 
my girlfriend and it was the start of the London Coffee Festival and I'd missed the first day because I'd spent the whole time in the Airbnb trying to finish the website and we just sat there eating dinner and on my phone I got all the notifications every time an order came in and it was just sort of this amazing feeling seeing everything sort of start to come to fruition but then after a little while I sort of realised oh god like this is all like every single single one of those sort of dings is is an order that's got to ship it's a yeah. thing that I've got to make yeah. you know these people are now relying on me to make this thing that I said I could make um, and that was also a bit of a nightmare from relation <laughs> to reality check a little bit there yeah. so so it sounds like, you know, kind of when we've been talking through, hey, I came up with this great idea. Of course, I spent some time doing trials and tests. I, I went into the marketplace, sent my, sent my email, and I got orders. Let's be brutal, though, is it? It's not all kind of plain sailing like that, is it, really? No. Um, when you look back on that bit from kind of idea through to launch, and even since then, and we'll talk a bit about the future, you know, in, in the second part of the podcast, um, what are the big hurdles that you've had to overcome? If you're going to pick a couple, um, and would you do anything differently now you've kind of been through the journey, really? Um, so I guess sort of manufacturing a physical product is always difficult, regardless of what the product is. Um, luckily, I had a pretty decent background, particularly in the sort of process we were using, so machine metal components and specialist coatings. Um, I had experience of that from from a previous job, but that doesn't mean there aren't problems. It just means you they're familiar when mm-hmm. they happen. Okay, you, you still can't fix them as quickly as you'd like, and um, so that I I think I always knew that was going to be a problem. And to be honest, we still have problems with it uh, now um, because as we sort of scale up every time we sort of change the order of magnitude that we're we're building stuff in. We leave some problems and gain some others. Um, and there's all sorts of funny little things with the product decisions that I made very early on when the consequences of those decisions seemed incredibly minor. And now I sort of kick myself, like, oh, why did I choose to do that that way? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. you know, now it's changing something like that when you've got thousands of units all the way through the supply chain. That are going across to multiple countries across the world, of course, as well. Exactly, yeah. yeah. We've got stock with distributors in we don't have distributors in 55 countries, but we've got customers in 55 countries. So that this is like a big machine to kind of try and manage now. Um, so yeah, manufacturing is difficult, and I would say the next most complex thing, probably on a par with that, is cash flow. Um, it would be amazing, I imagine, to have some sort of Silicon Valley VC and you know buckets of cash rolling around and and to just be able to sort of throw money at problems um, in reality it's just not the case and having all of those orders in three weeks was fantastic but that was also you know stuff we had to then go and pay to, to build mm-hmm. and to minimum order quantities and when you're starting off only building a few relative to how many we build now costs are so much higher and if you make a mistake and you have to scrap a batch of parts then the costs are even higher still um, luckily we've we've been able to work with some really good suppliers who for the most part have been incredibly supportive your resourcefulness that kind of character I would say would probably be the main reason for that though, if we're being, being blunt yeah I think we I mean we have sort of 
um, agreements and um, sort of uh, let's say relationships with, with our suppliers that your average company of our age and size would really struggle to get. And I think it's it comes down to kind of selling them on the vision mm -hmm. uh, for the for the product and the business and you know, okay, we're this big now, but one day we're gonna be this big and then while after that we're gonna be this big. And if you can help us grow, then you know, we'd love to, to carry on working with you however many years into the future. But if you're gonna sort of negotiate really hard and try and screw us on every sort of clause of a contract, then see you later. We're gonna leave you as fast as yeah. we possibly can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a really I think that's a really good golden nugget there that that actually that you're selling that vision and it's not just for you and it's not just for your team but for all of the kind of the stakeholders that might get involved. So you know if you were able to kind of go back in time and do a Marty McFly and go and go and see yourself a few years ago, would you tell yourself to do something differently? Is there anything you would sort of go and say, do us a favour, mate, do, do this instead, because it, it'll be easier, or, or you, might, you might get a, slight, a path of slightly less resistance, or not? Um, that's a tricky one, because I, I kind of believe that even the mistakes I might have made have taught me really valuable lessons, and I would like to think that uh, I rarely, if ever, make the same mistake twice. So even if might screwed something up it, it's been, still been there's still been value in it yeah um, I think something that I've changed about my, my myself and my approach to things is that I'm slightly less of a perfectionist now because when there's bills to pay and you know deadlines and staff that want to be paid at the end of the month and stuff mm -hmm. like that you can't afford to sort of faff around trying to get something from 99.9% right to that bit closer to 100, you know, sometimes 99.9% is enough, mm -hmm. sometimes 99% is enough, and I kind of wish that I'd realised that a bit earlier. I suppose that comes down to a bit of you kind of, those characters that, that, that you've said that are, are, are the reason why you are where you are, and you, you wouldn't have had such an amazing product, I suppose, but I think that's a good lesson, is that we talk about it a lot, actually sometimes 8 out of 10 is enough in those scenarios as you currently stand. So let's talk through kind of, you've, you've started a business, taken a punt, invested in yourself, um, you've now got a couple of employees, um, you are kind of in the, in, in the inverted commas in that sort of high growth scale up arena that, 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 that a lot of people like to sort of shoehorn people in. Where does the next three years, what does it look like for, for Pete Southern then and Clockwork? Well, you know, in, in an ideal scenario, what would the business look like? Um, I think we will definitely bring out some new products. Um, to be honest, that's the the side of all of this that I really love, and that's the side that, that kind of got me into it. That sort of tinkering and having ideas and wondering if it'd be possible to do something in a better way. Um, and if I could, I'd just do that all day, every day. But unfortunately, that doesn't pay the bills. Yeah. Um, so you've got to balance that with with all all of the other plates to spin. Um. So yeah, in the next few years we'll definitely bring out new products, and so to do that we're definitely going to need more staff, bigger office, all those kind of usual things. Um, I'd like to get to the point where I spend more of my time doing stuff that I'm good at and less of my time doing stuff that I'm not, <laughs> because mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time sort of 
fighting fires and and just dealing with problems that I'm really not very good at. I'm, I'm good at problem solving, but I find myself doing things that are, are really not my forte. Um, so I guess that's natural when you're such a tiny company, but hopefully over time we'll be able to hire in for different roles, different skill sets, and be able to delegate a bit more. And you and Again, if we can probe a little bit into that for me, Pete, that, you know, like any growing business, the decision of when to recruit, because cash is tight, um, not as much uh, sight on sales orders in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, have you, how have you dealt with that? You know, because I know you've, 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 of course, you know, you've got some recruits now, you've, you, you, you are considering recruiting, you've used subcontractors and all those. Is there any formula that you've used, or is it just as... I've done it as I, as I felt. Uh, yeah, I think sometimes there's a trigger point where you realise you just have to hire someone and there's having someone is a hell of a lot better than having no one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that comes back to being a bit of a perfectionist. You know, getting someone in who you can train and, and help sort of develop um, is a lot better than thinking about getting the f- perfect person for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that there definitely isn't a formula and I've definitely made some, some mistakes and I'm sure I'll make plenty more in the future. Um, I particularly like hiring sort of young, enthusiastic, um, sort of graduate. I mean, there's, there's some funding available that helps with stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, I mean, basically every person that I've hired at the point I hired them, I wasn't sure how I'd be able to pay them by the time payday came. So if I'd stopped and thought about it too much, I don't think I'd, it'd still just be me. But I think you've always kind of been open about the vision and where you are as a business, though. You've yeah. Never, you know, you, from, from, from knowing you, you know, you've always been pretty brutal and honest about kind of that position. And, and, and so, sorry for interrupting, but I think it comes down to, again, one of the key nuggets to get from that is that you're selling the vision the long term. It's not about the next payday. Mm. It's about actually where this is going to be in the next three, five years and why that's really good for someone of that age or that ilk that says, this is, this is a journey that you're going to follow me on, really, isn't it? And, and hence why I think you've been successful to bring some excellent people in because you've sold them the vision. Um, if I can talk a, a, a bit more about um, being a business owner and a high-growth business owner and a startup um, who had a job, who then came into it himself, is it lonely? Is it, is it, does it feel lonely at all? Or has it felt lonely? And, and if so, what have you done to be able to, to help yourself there? It definitely can be lonely. Uh, and there have definitely been, been points where it's felt really lonely. But I think now I've managed to, to kind of build this um, sort of network or support system of, of other entrepreneurs mm-hmm. who... Um, okay, we're all kind of busy and, you know, we don't necessarily have time to help each other with everything, but when the shit hits the fan, they're actually the best people to help, I found, because they're not at all faced by, you know, stuff that would really scare the hell out of a lot of other people. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, it's payday tomorrow, I don't know how we're going to pay the wages. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, right, well, let's see what we can do about it and yeah. get that problem solved in a few hours sometimes. Yeah. Um, uh, 
that's just an example. That's not actually something that's happened to us, but it's something I've helped other people with. Yeah, yeah, very much so. We, and in fact, we, we, we have the same discussions. Yeah. Um, and, and, and why is that so important then? You know, that's, that support network of fellow entrepreneurs. If you, you know, is there one thing that you pick from that that just goes, that's why? Um, I think it's that they... Well, they, sh- they generally share the same approach mm-hmm. to solving problems. They don't um, have the same... I mean, I, I've got a few different mentors who have been fantastically helpful, um, but I have definitely noticed a, a sort of theme in that business owners and entrepreneurs are more happy to give advice of a potentially high-risk strategy mm-hmm. for solving a problem. Whereas if you go to like your bank or um, uh, you know some some of your your more typical sort of advisors, they'll often advise you the very safest approach, mm-hmm. which as an entrepreneur is just a bit crap a lot of the time. <laughs> like it's it's not the thing that That's I want to do. Isn't it? No. Yeah. yeah, if I wanted safe, I'd have a job. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's their their approach and also just their their sort of um, understanding. You know, they've been there as well and. They're able to go, yeah, it seems like um, everything's gone totally wrong and it's irreparable, but we've all been there and we'll find a way through. And sometimes you've just got to go for a drink and have a bit of a wallow with yeah, them. Yeah. And sometimes you've got to roll your sleeves up and and pack boxes or whatever it is. Yeah, and I think, again, you know, there's been a number of good nuggets that we've talked about. That that support network that's... And we've, we found this a lot with businesses, as well as ourselves. When we, you know, we, we bought the business number years ago, you assume that no one's going through what you're going through. And actually, the minute you have a conversation, you actually find out people have gone through an awful lot worse. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a, a great place to then form a strategy of how to do it, because you're getting people's opinions, and then you're going, great, people have been in a lot worse situation, and this is what they did. And, that, and, and I think that's a really, really good place to go. Um, so... so to finish off in all these conversations, and I think the journey you've been on is excellent, and, and if I'd be saying to, to people who are watching this, emerging business owners or entrepreneurs should, should be taking a lot of stock of, of the advice you've given, do you look back on um, any advice that you were given that you think that was a, that was a real golden piece of, of, of advice that I now live by, or is there a couple of bits? I'll, I'll start with that first. Um... There's something that my, my granddad always used to say to me that, that used to stick out, which is, he's, he always said, you make your own luck. Um, and that's really stuck with me. And he used to always sort of say, well, no, you haven't been lucky. You were the person who applied for that thing. You were the person who asked for that thing. Mm-hmm. And there's how many, a hundred people, a thousand people that, that didn't bother. Um, like, don't be afraid to, to sort of, Take a bit of, um, uh, you know, sort of pat yourself on the back a little bit, in a private way, not necessarily <laughs> sort of bragging about it to yeah. people. Um, and I think the other thing—it's not necessarily advice that was given to me, but a sort of learning that uh, I've had over the over the last few years of doing this—is that being um, being able to be vulnerable with people is actually incredibly powerful mm. and trying to pretend that you're an expert on every topic um, never works very well uh, for anyone even if they are very very knowledgeable about lots of different things 
Um, and actually, people are a lot more willing to help you if you're just really open and honest with them. Mm. Um, we're having this problem, I don't know how to solve it, I don't understand this thing, um, is there anything you can do to help? And actually, a lot of people are really willing to help. They just don't particularly like dealing with people that always think they're right. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I'm, I'm not sure whether I, I want to talk any further because the when you look at a lot of research about the best leaders, they're the ones that have that vulnerability. They have a vision for success, but they're open to the fact of where their challenges and where their weaknesses are. And the ones that then surround themselves with people who can uh, fill the gaps of those weaknesses, we tend to see the most successful. Um, I'm going to leave it there, because I think, I think we've, we've talked a lot, and, and uh, what I'm definitely going to be doing is going to be back for another business builder. We'd like to thank you again for joining us today. Um, Pete, as, a, as an aspiring and entrepreneur who is now growing and scaling a business, is a great example of the challenges, the highlights that you go through. Um, it's not plain sailing. Um, there are lots of ups and downs, but with determination and the right type of values, you can grow a business. And, and um, I think that what we've learned from Pete is, um, just like he said, that the advice that he was given that he's taken from his, his network around, you do make your own luck. Um, with some good ideas, of course, uh, which you've got to be very, very confident about. And very much so, surrounding yourself with a network of people that you can be vulnerable to and share some of the, the passion and some of the, the challenges you're going through, without a doubt, are two of the best bits of advice that we would suggest. So thanks very much, guys, and, uh, and see you soon.